Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome once again to Madame Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you. Broadcast from right here inside the Genie Bottle. I'm your host, your cruise director and spiritual advisor, Madame Perry, but you can call me Madam, you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP. I'm just happy to be here. And Jen, by the way, let me go ahead and give you something. Jen, J-E-N-N. Um, if you listen last week when I had Eric Schumacher on, I told you I had a sponsor for last week and this week, a new one. It's called Biomark. And, you know, right now we're having to, you know, sometimes go out kind of armed and masked and uh, protected to get groceries. And a lot of stores are offering curbside or uh, delivery. And it's a company called Biomark, and it's an online store. They're based out of London, but they deliver worldwide. And they have everything for uh, health and wellness. Uh, everything is vegan. Everything is cruelty-free. Uh, the different categories are anything from uh, blood pressure, uh, brain health, diabetes, fibromyalgia, fatigue. Uh, they even have biotics for kids, muscle mass and recovery. And they seem to uh, specialize in a cookie dough or cookie-flavored CBD oil, uh, all kind of cool stuff, and also some lovely bath products things, too, and some things geared particularly for women's health. But the website is biomarth, B-I-O-M-A-R-T-H.com, biomarth.com, and, of course, I'll be sharing it on my social media. And if you go there online, and as I said, they deliver anywhere in the world, and get ready to check out whether you're buying some um, the multi-mushroom organic complex or uh, turmeric root capsules, anything at all. When you get ready to check out, your code is Jen J E N N, like short for Jennifer J E N N twenty J N excuse me J E N N two zero. That is the code they've given me to give you so that you can get. 20% off your order. That's pretty cool. Because although your local stores have a lot of things you want, some of these things may not be that easy to find locally. So, yeah, biomarth.com, J-E-N-N-2-0 is your discount code. Now, two weeks ago, uh, my dear friend Will Hare put together a show for us called Looking Forward uh, about, you know, live post uh, COVID-19, or if there will be a poster, we're just going to have it manageable, eradicated, we don't know, but about how life is going on. And he pulled to me several experts in several fields to help make predictions and uh, give their uh, give their suggestions from, from their experience what may or may not happen. And one of the people he brought, because he's a global finance expert, it was so much fun. I couldn't wait to have her back here. But you know what? Like so many of the coolest people I know, she is much more than even a global finance expert. Although that's pretty um, 
<laughs> that's a pretty powerful thing in itself. But she is also um, a sci-fi and fantasy writer and also writes some YA or young adult steampunk novels. You guys know how much I love steampunk and sci-fi. And not only that, she has a bachelor's in music from Princeton from which she graduated magna cum laude. I don't know how I get so lucky to have these fabulous guests, but I am so thrilled to have this fantastic sci-fi fantasy writer right here in Madame Perry Salon. Again, welcome back, Mary Fan. Mary, so good to see you again. Thanks for having me back. You have just got so much talent. I'm not going to ask your age, but I know you're young, and you're making the rest of us feel kind of like, and we probably <laughs> deserve it, like underachievers, way underachievers. But uh, it's just so much fun to talk to you. Um, you've got a lot going on, and I want to talk about your, you, you're quite a prolific writer. So let's get right into the books. Your latest book, your newest book, rather, is, um, is a sci-fi fantasy novel. Am I right? Yes, it is. Okay. And it's Wayward Stars. Yeah. So Wayward Stars is the second book of my Star Suck series um, for teens and young adults. And the basic premise is it takes place in the future, but not too far in the future, like maybe 100 years 200 years in the future, and there's a performing arts school on Earth, and their sole purpose is to train young musicians and dancers and acrobats and singers to perform on an alien planet. And the reason they do this is because this alien planet, all the people there, they're humanoid like us, but they're telepaths. And because they never had to find creative ways to express themselves, you know, because they could just talk with their minds and have everybody understand them right away, they never developed anything like earthling arts. So they're fascinated by earthling music and dance and singing. And so our main character is a viola student at one of these schools, and she desperately wants to make it. You know, she thinks, you know, if she just make it, you know, her dreams are going to come true. But then one day she meets an alien boy who uh, kind of reveals that things are not what she thinks they are. And I think that's all I can really say without, you know, sort of spoiling the series. But Wayward Stars is the second installment in a planned trilogy, and the third book will be coming out later this year. It's not a cookbook, is it? <laughs> uh, if only. <laughs> no, what was More that? A, a it, or something. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, is this the Chrissy Teigen thing? Is it a what? Oh, I just heard there was some controversy over a cookbook that involved Chrissy Teigen, but I wasn't paying close attention. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, no, it was a, a Twilight Zone episode where everybody was going to Mars and uh, from Earth, and they were excited to go, but they were trying to read this book. Some scientists were trying to crack this book that the uh, Martians brought with them, and it was they could get the title. The title was called To Serve Man, but they didn't crack it until everybody was getting on the spaceship that it was a cookbook oh oh that's funny <laughs> i gotta look that so, up so that was a code when uh uh with some co-workers i was working with at one time and 
when uh, uh, when the company had a merger with another technical company, we were uh, providing software services and hardware for uh, pharmaceutical reps. And when uh, there was a merger, they got said, "Oh no, 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 we're going to keep everybody. We're going to keep everybody. nobody's going to go." And then when the layoffs started, I, you know, we started calling it's a cookbook. It was a cookbook all the time. So yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, all right. Well, good. I'm glad to know it's not that. Now I feel much better about <laughs> finishing the book. Um, so this is the second in, in the series. So where did you, uh, this is such a fantastic uh, premise. I like it because, you know, when you study things about telepathy and I try to study about uh, just, you know, as an amateur about neurolinguistics or telepathy. So, to think that somebody would have would be trying to learn things uh, from an you know old fashioned Earth point of view, just like um, having to learn a whole different way, an old skill to do something in the future. That's the premise I haven't seen anywhere, and that's pretty fantastic. Um, where did you get the idea for that? Because I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. It's, it's almost definitely original to me. What? Do you remember even the process that went through your mind when you're, were you just free associating? I mean, it was a little while ago. I think I planned this book out back in 2013, but I do remember um, I wanted to write a sci-fi book set in space just because that's a setting I love. You know, I grew up a big Star Wars fan and just always loved anything that involved spaceships. So I already was like, okay, in my next book, I want to do something in that setting. And then I had always wanted to write a book about an orchestra player, like a musician in an orchestra, because, you know, growing up, there were a lot of books about performing arts students, but they tended to be singers and dancers and, you know, members of rock bands. But you never, I played the violin and you never saw anybody write about, you know, a young violinist. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to write about a violinist and I want it to be in, set in space. Now, how is that going to work? <laughs> and so that's kind of where the idea eventually spun out of. I was like, okay, how can I make this work? Well, you know, if there's space, there could be aliens, and maybe the aliens are fascinated with the arts, and why would they do that? Like, well, why do we use the arts? We use the arts to express ourselves in ways that ordinary speech can't. And so I was like, okay, well, if these aliens don't have that need, it's probably because they're telepathic. And that's kind of where the whole idea spun out of. Okay, and I like that because I see now, you know, it's not that uncommon now for people to sort of be, especially in times when they've got more spare time, reaching back to things people didn't do before. Um, maybe I'm thinking specifically about um, maybe crafts. Um, you know, I never learned how to sew. Okay, I took it in the whole minute, but I made an F in it. And in, <laughs> in, the, sewing, in the sewing quarter, I made an F. Um, so I didn't know many people who actually made their own clothes. You know, you just bought something. Whereas now, now that I'm work, now that I'm involved with things like um, maybe steampunkers or cosplayers and so forth, you know, people really get into making things, their own stuff and their crafts and so forth. So yeah, a lot of people are reaching back to stuff that we thought we didn't do anymore, or the general public didn't do anymore. So I like that that they're kind of learning something that might have been. Um, a part of a history, not their plan, maybe, but um, but a bit historical, sort of learning some kind of like reading hieroglyphics or something. And so, is this something that the 
the school? Is this a, a popular thing for, for people? Is this like a school for mostly young people to learn? Um, yeah, I guess in the book, it's only young people who learn there, and that's actually a source of great stress for my protagonist because essentially the school tells her, you know, we're going to educate you. You have to go into massive student debt for this to be possible, and if you don't find a patron by the time you turn 21, you're out, good luck, and you're also in debt. So oh, Lord. part of, I guess, the conflict, I guess, um, you know, she has to make it or she's kind of screwed. It's uh, that's, that's very realistic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it didn't. It wasn't meant to be a commentary originally. I was just trying to find like a source of tension in the premise, especially since it is sci-fi and it ends up being a little bit dystopian. I was like, okay, you know, what's something that could, you know, really trap my protagonist in a corner? Because whenever you're plotting a book, you never want things to be easy for your protagonist, right? You always want to. Right as we say, chase them up a tree and throw rocks. Okay, what can make her, like, it's not enough for her just to be like, oh, I want to make it because I want my dreams to come true. I need her to have a really compelling reason that if her dreams don't come true, she's well and truly screwed. And so I was like, how do you screw over a student? Well, with debt. And that's how that came about. And I think it ended up being a little bit more um, political seeming than I meant it to be. But that's always how sci-fi works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. Um, very much so. Um, do you enjoy your characters? Do you think of them as, as friends or somebody that you would know, or do you see a little bit of yourself in them or put some of yourself in them? Yeah, I definitely enjoy writing my characters. Um, I know some writers like to write characters that are very, very far removed from them. Um, I tend to be the opposite. I tend to see, I guess, a little bit of myself in all my characters, and that's how I relate to them. I mean, I'm spending 400 pages writing in their voice, so I want to actually like having them in my head. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I tend to write characters that I can relate to on some level. They're not always like me, but they're kind of like, a version of me I could see myself being in an alternate universe, if that makes any mm. sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely to me, and probably I know I'm not the only one. I just want to read uh, the, the the review from Blue Ink Review. Um, just, just a moment. It says, um, although partially nodding to Brave New World, Logan's Run, and the Hunger Games trilogy, the science fiction dystopian YA novel Starswept is its own blazingly unique creation. Prolific author Mary Fan, uh, 12 books published to date, spins a riveting tale against the backdrop of intergalactic human trafficking, brainwashing, corporate greed, freedom fighters, and the backstabbing culture of an exclusive performing arts academy. The action never flags as mounting suspense meets romance meets high adventure. You think that that's a short review, but I think it sums up a big story. <laughs> and especially Brave New World is one of my favorite books. Um, and Logan's Run. Um, you know, if, have you ever watched this? You've seen Logan's Run? No, I haven't, actually. I've read Brave New seen, World, though. <laughs> Have <laughs> uh, you ever seen Call the Midwife? No, I haven't. Well, Call the Midwife, um, 
Jenny Agutter, who played the, she was the female lead in Logan's Run. She and her boyfriend escapes the place, uh, or try to escape, and uh, she plays the uh, the head nun, and called the midwife. So every time I see that, I think of her when she escaped and then she became a nun. So, uh, now that would be an interesting story. <laughs> Didn't happen that way, but yeah, I, I cannot. I cannot see her in anything. I see her in a lot of British, uh, British crime thrillers, and she's I'll always think of her. And she left. She and Michael York left, and there they were. Um, but you, but when I read this, when I read this review, though, it's got everything. You know, human trafficking. Well, that's going to be something that you think will. Going to happen anywhere, everywhere, any culture. There's always going to be people or entities that are going to find a way to use other people. Um, and then it said, "What is it?" And the backstabbing culture of an exclusive performing arts academy. No kidding, you know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care what it is, how simple it is, the piano recital or the or the film showgirls. Performing arts can be backstabbing. Um, oh yes. <laughs> And even even what a little bit I've been involved as an entertainment publicist and when I do TV, seeing what things that people will do to other people, even people who have some um, who have some success will do to other people. So I'm thinking, and when Mary sets up the tension, she doesn't pull back. <laughs> I mean, you don't play. You know exactly what uh, what's going to keep us wound up through here. What do fans know? tell you about Star Swept series? Sorry, what was that? What do your fans tell you about your books that you like the best? Um, hmm. Hard to say because I stopped reading my reviews a little while ago because I came across one or two nasty ones that just made me really sad and I was like, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess... <laughs> I guess the good ones that I've received and the ones that, you know, I guess my friends and family have given me, although, you know, those are always to be taken with a grain of salt because I do have to like see these people on holidays and such. They <laughs> tend to, <laughs> they tend to like when it comes to Star Swap, I guess, just like the premise of it, you know, because I think it's something that hasn't really been explored before, kind of mashing together two genres, which is, you know, the performing arts drama, like fame and stuff. And then, of course, the sci-fi dystopian Hunger Games kind of world. So I think they really like that juxtaposition where you've got this, you know, beautiful stage full of, you know, these gorgeous ballerinas and orchestras. And then you've also got this sort of looming corporate greed that's looking to exploit it all. Yeah, that sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty legit. I've had I've had I've been sabotaged too with a gig, so yeah, that's yeah. Um, but it's a lesson that you don't learn in the school books, that's for sure. Um, tell me about tell me a little bit more about the main character. So the main character, her name is Iris. She is a 15-year-old viola player. I chose the viola as an instrument mostly because I haven't seen many books, if any where the main character plays a viola. In fact, a lot of people don't even know what a viola is. For those of you out there who are like that, no worries at all. It is, I guess, a less common instrument, but it's kind of like a big violin. 
it just is um, a little bit deeper in voice. And in orchestras, it tends to form the upper lower voice, if that makes any sense. Like if this were a choir, the viola would be a tenor. So Iris mm-hmm. plays a viola, and it also kind of matches her personality because she's a very shy character. She's the kind of character who, if you wa- if she walked into a crowded room, she would try to disappear into some corner or, or another because she doesn't want all that attention. And the viola does kind of get a little bit lost in the orchestra, so I thought that matched her personality. Now, at the same time, of course, she is in the situation where she's in a high-stress performing arts school, and she's trying to get a patron, and she needs to stand out if she wants to eventually, you know, get a job that's going to get her a patron and allow her to follow her dreams and not end up, you know, mired in debt and desperate. So it's, uh, so part of the book is about her un- overcoming her own shyness and sort of learning that, you know, she can step into the spotlight and she can sort of take charge of her own destiny in some ways, but without losing who she is along the way. I think that sounds, I was reading um, a review, Reader's Favorite, which is a five-star review, and um, I'm read this, just a portion of it. It says, the author Mary Fan has a lovely flowing style elevated with enchanting, enchanting descriptive passages of music and art that contrast so well with the dark portraits of an unfair and unbalanced society. Some of my favorite sections were those relating to Iris's inner thoughts as she plays Butterfly's Lament, the piece she chooses to play the school spectacle, drawing a parallel to her growing feelings for Daniel and her fear that a match between earthling and an alien could prove futile. And I thought, oh, I love this because you've got, she's got the whole thing of the pressure of doing well to, to get the job, to get the patron. And she's, you know, it's like channeling her emotions and feeling like, like sending, practically sending a message, but she's got uh, but her feelings for him and what could happen, and that I don't. Again, I'm not a fiction writer. I, I I can't do what you do. I just. But it sounds to me like you've got such a beautiful, multi-layered emotion there, uh, in the piece and the music, and I know in the playing of the music, and uh, in, in her heart, you know, it's her it's the feelings, and in her mind, a practical part of needing to get needing to get a patron and a job, how is it, how difficult is it to, to, to create that many layers kind of weaving in or um, blending in together to express so many different feelings and fears and anticipations uh, and feel satisfied with how you do it? First of all, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Um, and to answer your question, for me, it's really about getting into the head of the character. So I mostly write in first person, and Starslept is written in first person, in first person present, actually. So the reader is experiencing things at the same time as Iris is. And so it's really important for me to just really get to know who she is, and that just takes a lot of brainstorming, a lot of thinking. There's no real structure to it. Like, you know, just, you know, taking a walk and thinking, okay, you know, what is this Iris character like? You know, what does she, like, what does she like? What's she not like? How would she react to certain situations? And I guess you could almost call it method writing in a way because it sounds a lot like what method actors do when they really try to inhabit the character. Um, that's what I try to do with my narrator so that when I sit down to write, 
I almost feel like I become her while I'm writing. And then it's not that hard, actually. It's like just write what you're feeling. Mm. Well, another thing that you, I think that you also, from the beginning, when we just look at the cover, you have the most gorgeous cover art. And looking at the cover, um, it's the kind that grabs you visually because of the colors and script. It's so beautifully done, and yet there is there's there's motion and emotion in it. You know, she feels like she's she's got her the viola, she's floating her you know her clothes are kind of flowing back. The space. Um, who who does your art and do you direct it? Um, so Starslap is self-published. So yes, I directed it. As in, I came up with the concept and then I found the artist to bring it to life. And my original concept was that. I wanted it to look like Iris was floating through space with her viola. And, of course, you know, you can't put a real person in space. That just wouldn't work. Um, so my next thought was I love underwater photography. And I thought, well, you know what? It'd be cool to have this be, have this shot underwater and then have an artist paint stars around her to make it look like she's floating through space. Um, and so I actually staged my own underwater photo shoot. I hired um, a fantastic photographer based in New York. His name is Roberto Falk. And I really feel like I lucked out when I found him. Like I, I literally just Googled like underwater photographers, New York city, um, because I live in Jersey city and that's right across the river. And his website popped up and his work was just like so gorgeous. It was all like ethereal and dreamy. And it felt like it came from another dimension. I was like, yes, that is exactly what I want. So I, you know, spoke with him, and he was interested in the project, and so I hired him to do the shoot. And then for the model, um, that's actually my sister, because she's always loved performing herself. Like, she's an aspiring actress, and actually, when I told her about the photo shoot, she kind of got puppy eyes and was like, and so are you looking for a model? (laughs) I was like, okay, sure. At least I know you'll be cheap. So, yeah, we went to um, a diving school in Long Island, and that's where the photographer, he had this whole fancy setup. Like, I don't actually know exactly what he did, but there was, like, a backdrop, like, in the water. Um, My sister, she put on this big old dress that I bought specifically for the shoot and a a cheap viola I bought specifically for the shoot because I knew any instrument you put in the water was going to be ruined. Um, Mm -hmm. And... Yes, they they would, they would, um, like she and the photographer would, you know, chat for a bit. And then he'd say, okay, um, when I count to three, we're both going to go down and then I'm going to shoot a few shots and you just come up whenever you need to. Um, and so it looks like she's actually like deep underwater, but the way they made the backdrop, it was actually so that she would always be able to stand with her head above water. So if ever she was like, okay, I've had enough of this, she'd be safe. And there was also an underwater assistant in full scuba gear who was there to, just kind of help out, like, position the dress and such. And so, yeah, a lot going on there. Wow. Wow, that is. But, <laughs> and yet, it, it, the effect is, is just exquisite. It's, it's worth it all. Yeah, I love Whatever how it, it turned out. Oh, it is, it is. It is it is gorgeous. It is absolutely stunning. And so, well done, Mary and Thank Mary's you. sister and photographer and assistant. Um <laughs> And it's just beautiful. 
By the way, um, if anybody's listening, if you're listening live, not anybody, I know people are listening, but if you're listening live and you want to talk to Mary, you have a question for or a comment, you can give us a call at 646-716-9922. That's 646-716-9922, which is a toll-free call in the continental U.S. Or for the people who can't make a phone call, for whatever reason, you can send a message to me on Facebook, either through Madame Perry Salon or Jennifer Maudette Perry. So, yeah, that is uh, that is just gorgeous. So see, the story, even the story to it is beautiful. Thank now, you. I know uh, you said you self-published this? Yes. And, but you've been published with indie or traditional publishers before, right? Right. What is it, how how different have your experiences been with uh, with each of them? You know, they each have their pros and they each have their cons. When it comes to traditional press, which, which is what most people think of when they think of publishing, um, the advantages are pretty obvious. Like you know, that's your best shot at becoming you know a mega bestseller, and of course, you don't have to actually put forward any investment yourself you know you write the book you edit the book and then the publisher takes it from there self-publishing on the other hand you know you are the publisher so that's why I ended up um, being the one who got to do the cover for Star Slept and the good thing there was that I got to have exactly the cover I wanted the bad thing is of course I had to spend the money and it was a lot Um, (laughs) I will say the only reason I was able to afford it is because I had just gotten laid off I got a severance package, but I got a new job right away, so I never had to use that severance oh. package to live off of. And I was like, I was also just like in a headspace where I was like just kind of mad at the world for like not giving me what I wanted. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give myself what I want. <laughs> um, so yeah, the pros of self-publishing is that, you know, you get to do whatever you want, but the risk is also yours. Whereas with traditional publishing, you have to give up some of that control. Like I went through a traditional press for my latest book, stronger than a bronze dragon and I love how it turned out but along the way there were some moments where you know the editor would say hey this chapter isn't working rewrite it and I'd be like no I don't want to fine you're paying me (laughs) (laughs) well you know I'm so glad that you took that the things worked such a way to where you just took took it in hand make the perfect cover and that's great and because of the way you described that, um, that makes me that takes me to the subject of uh, brave new girls. Because what oh. better example? <laughs> you're mad because they are the way you. So you're going to give yourself what you want. I mean that couldn't be better. So <laughs> would you tell me about about brave new girls? Absolutely. So Brave New Girls is, it started out as one anthology, but we've been doing one a year for the past like five years now. So now it's become an anthology series. And it started out with me and um, one of my friends, sci-fi writer Paige Daniels. We were just kind of Facebook messaging back and forth, griping about how you don't really see um, girls in tech in any form of media, unless they're either, you know, the background lab rat, you know, supporting some, superhero or some 22 year old bombshell with a PhD who's there just because the action hero needs someone who can skew techno babble while he saves the day. 
and we were just like <laughs> mad about this. We were like, why can't we have stories about girls who do tech but also get to be the heroine themselves, not just supporting somebody else's story? And so we were like, you know what? Why don't we create a collection of short stories that does this? Um, and part of the reason we also wanted to do it is because, you know, there is a lack of women and girls in STEM. And studies have shown that for some reason, like, you have little girls, like, nine-year-olds who are interested in math and science, but by the time they graduate high school and go into college, they're not declaring, you know, STEM majors in college. So something happens in their tween and teen years, possibly, you know, social pressures or whatever, um, that discourages them. So that's why we wanted to aim our stories at a tween and teen audience. So I'd say it's aimed at maybe ages, like, 10-ish through, like, 17-ish, just depending on the reading level of the kid. And we decided we wanted to publish this anthology ourselves because it was such a passion project for us. And so we crowdfunded the first book and exceeded our goal, which we were really thrilled about. And since then, we've kind of continued because we just love doing the project. And all of our authors are fantastic, too. Like, every year, they're just like, oh, we're going to do one next year, too, right? And we're like, yes, of course we are, until the end of time. (laughs) (laughs) And then we donate a portion of the proceeds to the Society of Women Engineers Scholarship Fund so that we can encourage girls to, you know, go into STEM both by giving them, you know, sort of, you know, the fiction that encourages that and by, you know, actually supporting them in the real world um, for their education. I am so glad because I wanted to make sure we, we let people know that, yes, there are uh, revenues go to the Society of Women, uh, a Society of Women Engineers. And thank you so much for this now you and Paige Gardner um you said the two oh, excuse me Paige Daniels Paige Gardner makes the fantastic steampunk costumes um <laughs> and, and because like me she doesn't sew um we use glue so before the cons I was sniffing glue like a seventh grader but anyway but, but enough of that um so you and Paige Daniels edited how different is it for you editing people's work doing an anthology as opposed to doing your own for your own book? I will say, um, having been on both sides of it, I feel like I understand editors a lot better now. When I first started off as a writer and, you know, editors would give me comments, I'd be like, oh, my God, why are you telling me to change my words? They're beautiful. They're perfect. Leave me alone. <laughs> but, of course, as a writer, you, you're stuck in your own head. You can't look at um, – your own writing the way a reader would and the whole like an editor's job is to look at the writing the way a reader would um at the same time i have also worked with some less than great editors who i guess seem to want to change the book entirely or change the story entirely which is also like i frown out at that so when I when I edit books, I try to look at it from both perspectives. Like I'm looking at it as a reader, like how will this story best serve the reader? You know, for example, if an author has this, you know, wonderful imaginative sci-fi world in their head, but they haven't really talked about it in the book, they just kind of refer to it obliquely and it doesn't really make sense to a reader, you know, I'll point that out. I'll be like, hey, you know, I, it sounds like you have something great here, but you haven't really written it down and I'm sure you know what it is because you wrote it, but me, an outsider, I don't know what you're talking about, so please add a little more description. Um, Same time, I also try to see what it is the writer is trying to do, so if something doesn't make sense to me, I won't say, you know, hey, change this completely. I'll be like, hey, this doesn't make sense. Here is why. 
here are some suggestions, but please feel free to do something else entirely because ultimately this is your story and I want to help you make your story the way, like the best it can be without changing it entirely. Mm, yeah. Well, that's a job um, I don't know if I could do. <laughs> <laughs> it can I be just, time sometimes. I just know. Sometimes you're like reading a story and you're like, wait, is this not making sense because something needs to be fixed or am I just dumb today? (laughs) (laughs) I just don't. Yeah, sometimes when, um, you know, as an entertainment publicist, a lot of my clients have been authors, and then sometimes people approach me, and maybe they've got a great book and a great idea, and they go, can you help me get it? And it's like, it's so good, but, you know, you can lose a little professional publishing, and it's a good book, and you can get it out there, but I know they get all upset, and, um, you know, I'm like, uh, like, Okay, it's like giving somebody's kids back to them when they get fussy. It's like, okay, fine, you need to go find somebody else. <laughs> if they're going to start, you know, arguing, like, look, you got a good thing. Just make it better now. So, uh, yeah, that's a difficult job, I can imagine. Um, if people go to your website, which is uh, MaryFan, M-A-R-Y-F-A-N dot com, it's a gorgeous website and very well organized. And it's, uh, yeah. They can get it reading excerpts from Star Swept, and they can find out about all of your books, everything you're doing, um, anthologies and shorts that you've um, been involved with as a writer, editor, and everything. Tell me about – I've got two more things I want to ask you. One is tell me about Jane Colt, and also tell me about – do you – have a specific interest, um, just just an interest in artificial intelligence, or have you studied it? Do you see that being a big part of our? I know it's a bigger part of our lives now than we realize, but do you see that being a bigger part of our futures? Sure. So the Jane Cole trilogy is a sci-fi trilogy. Um, actually, the first book in that series, Artificial Absolutes, was the very first book I ever published um and i guess the big picture premise is that you know there's a young woman she lives in this far future like star trekky space world and her brother gets framed for murder and she tries to find the real killer but along the way there is a lot of stuff about artificial intelligence and that's because i do have like i guess an interest in it um it's not something i've really studied formally it's just something i read a lot about like you know if i'm clicking through like the internet like if ever there's an article about artificial intelligence I'm always like ooh, I want to see um and I guess it's just because it fascinates me just you know the question of you know what makes us human and you know you kind of can look at that by looking at artificial intelligence as like what makes them not human and at what point do you cross that line and this is a topic that of course has been explored at length over the past century or more by sci-fi writers much much better than me but I just have always been fascinated by it, and that's why I wanted to explore that topic and the nature of consciousness in in my book. Yeah, I see. Uh, the titles are, in this trilogy, Artificial Absolutes, Synthetic Illusions, and Virtual Shadows. It's all in the uh, Jane Cope trilogy. Uh, great titles. Uh, one of the... One of the uh, paragraphs on the page on your website that the Space Opera Trilogy with a liberal dose of cyberpunk Jane Colt novels follow a young woman's exploits across the stars through cyberspace and into the most lawless corners of the universe 
Um, I like that cyberpunk, steampunk, sci-fi. I mean, this is, I love this. <laughs> this is the world. Yay. You know, my my best friend and I lived across the street from each other from the time we were six years old. And so we were, um, well, everybody knows I'm not a kid, but uh, yeah, so we remember when Star Trek first started. And that was then we lived for that every week, Star Trek and the man from Uncle. You know, that was what we played. Those were our fantasies. And so we didn't have the abundance of books like, like girls have now or, or people have now. So, uh, still love these. And what do you, what do you see for yourself next? Now there's the third book in the, um, Star Swept Trilogy. Yeah, um, so that's the book I'm currently working on publishing. Um, it's coming out in the fall, coronavirus mm-hmm. or not. <laughs> and after that, I actually want to start writing a full-blown epic fantasy, which I've done like once before, but I haven't really explored that space as much as I've explored sci-fi. And so I want to do something you know, with magic rather than tech. And I wanted it to be, so you might have noticed that I tend to mishmash things I like. So I want to write a fantasy and I also do circus arts in my spare time. And so I want to write a circus book. So I've decided that my next book is going to be a circus fantasy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just barely mentioned that in the last, um, um, in the show you did, the Looking Forward After COVID-19 with Will here, Eric Schumacher, and Thomas Watson, when, um, when I wondered which of you would be better to take to the grocery store, you know, you or Eric Schumacher with his glare and martial arts. And then, you know, I don't know. I think Will was definitely betting on you. <laughs> Mostly you because know, I wouldn't start. have to touch the floor, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about that. Is that something you got into just as a hobby? And how long have you practiced those arts, those graceful arts? Yeah. Um, it's a hobby I picked up um, not quite two years ago, maybe like a year and a half ago. Um, it's funny that's become such a big part of my life now because before that, I would have, like, if you told me, oh, you know, one day flying trapeze is going to be one of your go-to hobbies, I would have been like, <laughs> what are you drinking? Can I have some? Um, <laughs> it started kind of randomly. Um, it, my sister was the first one who was like, hey, let's try an aerial silks class. And, of course, you know, we live in Jersey, so you can really find, like, any weird hobby you want to try out. You pretty much can. And so I was like, okay, sure, try it out. This is kind of ridiculous. You know, what am I, like, Cirque du Soleil? Like, let's just do it and see how it goes. And I was surprised by just how much fun it was. And I think it's the part of me that was the kid who loved to climb trees. Like, I just like doing stunts. I like, you know, climbing real high and freaking people out by, like, you know, hanging upside down from the monkey bars and stuff. And <laughs> once I started, I found myself very quickly addicted to it. And, yeah, haven't stopped since, and I don't plan to. <laughs> good. Very good. Yeah, so, so I've got a lot of friends in burlesque, and a lot of them do aerial work and um, in burlesque. And I just thought, you know, I, I had planned to go that route before we all got locked in, just to try it, just for the fun of it and the exercise, and because it's, well, back to reason one, it looks like much fun. Uh, I, I wouldn't be doing the striptease part because, you know, 
I don't think that um, uh, I, don't, I don't have the insurance for it. You know, if anything goes wrong. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you know, if I, I sell some clothes and I get blinded on the way down because the blood's over my face, I don't know. But anyway, I think that's so fantastic. Uh, Mary, you are such a fascinating woman, and I am just, uh, I am in awe of all that you do and your intelligence, your talent, your personality, and all that you give, too, because um, you not only give a lot of uh, entertainment, but inspiration to young women, to all people, but I know especially to young women and with the donation to the, um, was it Women uh, Society of for their scholarship fund. I think that's fantastic. Um, I hope that when the next book comes out, you'll come back soon and talk about it. And for anyone who wants to know where to get Mary's books, where to buy any books by Mary Fan, I just want you to know I will be sharing the links uh to Wayward to get Wayward Stars or to get anything from the Jane Colt series, Brave New Girls. I will be sharing links to get all of these as well as all of uh, Mary's website, social media links on all of my social media, whether it's uh, Matt Perry Salon or Jennifer Perry, so that you can easily find her. You get the ebooks at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Kobo, iBooks. There's even an audio book narrated by Emily Ruzeller on Audible, and you can get the hardback at Amazon. Did I get all that right, Mary? Is there something else I should have got in there? Yes, that was pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to take anything away from you. Did you? Did you? Uh, you know, I'm so glad because I want to go ahead and get the uh, Audible version read by Emily Ruzeller. And uh, sometimes I just want somebody to read to me, and so that I think I get that. But um, or or from the author, you can just uh, there's also a link on the website where you can just get it directly from the author. And uh, oh, you've even got where you I can get a get it signed, get a copy of Star Swept signed by you, and that's lovely. Uh, or for to themselves or to a gift. Mary, what have you got planned for the rest of the week? Um, I mean, I guess I'm not physically going anywhere, so I plan to just watch a lot of Star Wars. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> Listen, are you going to go to any virtual cons this week on uh, social media? Not this week, but I will be um, a panelist at the virtual Balticon that's at the end of the month. So that'll be interesting. It'll be my first virtual convention. All right, that's good. Well, let me know, and so I can uh, share that information, too. So, uh, again, thank you so very much. And also, um, for everybody, too, that's waiting for the – I will have the uh, the winners for uh, Matt Coyle's book and Julie E. Blomacke's book. I will have those drawn very soon for everybody. And so uh, this is Madam Perry saying I am so –
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.